0: things about gathering on Easter is that it's a special Sunday, but it's also just a Sunday because we live in the ever-present reality of the resurrection of Jesus. We live gathering every week to worship, to come together in a community, and to remind ourselves of this truth. There are days that we set aside to remember it specifically and to celebrate it, but what we celebrate is what's true always. We're remembering now What is true, what always has been true since Jesus came out of the grave and what will be true for eternity, that he came back to life and we have been brought back to life. Amen. All right. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been in the life really in the story of Peter and Jesus. In the Last Supper, in the crucifixion, now in the resurrection. That's where we're picking up the story today. While you're turning there, here's what's happened. It's been probably a week and a half since Jesus rose from the dead. Peter and the other disciples have went back to fishing. That's really important. They went back to fishing. This was their career. They had been following Jesus. They had stopped that. Jesus rose from the dead. Now they're back on the boat fishing again they've returned to what they did before they followed jesus they're back out on the boat again they there's a miraculous uh catch of fish you might have heard that story in sunday school or seen it maybe on veggie tales something like that and then jesus is on the shore he's making breakfast the disciples come in peter sees jesus he jumps out of the boat swims to shore and jesus and the other disciples eat a breakfast of fish Together, this conversation happens really in the, middle of, in the middle of breakfast. So, John chapter 21, we're going to start reading in verse 15, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray again as we open your word, what we do often as we gather. That we would hear from you, that your name would be glorified, that your truth would be proclaimed. That any of my ideas or thoughts anything that's not from you or faithful to you would be f- would fall to the ground and be forgotten that you would be glorified today. We love you Jesus. Amen. See, here's a weird question to start Easter. Have you ever ran into an ex when you weren't expecting it? That's awful, isn't it? Super super awkward. I don't care who you are, it is always awkward. Listen, like, what are you supposed to say to that person? There are a thousand normal things you can say to an ex that you bump into, like, hey, great weather, how are you doing? Is this the guy you didn't tell me about? Don't say that last one. That's not normal. Um, <laughs> but, but we never think of those things, right? All we think of is this is awkward, and we'd start trying to, like, blend into the furniture or trying to find exits. This has happened to me twice in the state of South Dakota, Okay, there are literally more cows than people in that state. It's remarkable that you would see another human. And I have seen two ex-girlfriends that I dated in different parts of the country randomly in South Dakota. It's ridiculous. I know there are some people that are like, hey, listen, like, it's not awkward. I'm great friends with all of my exes. It's not awkward. And sure, that could be true. I mean, Bigfoot could be true, you know. Like, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's like I've never seen him before. People tell me about him. And every picture that I see of him is like blurry, and I don't think that is what you think it is. But sure, it could be true. But I remember one time I, I walked into a camp in South Dakota, and I saw my ex-girlfriend from North Carolina from four years ago who the last interaction we had had was me closing my flip phone when she dumped me. I wish I had handled it better, but honestly, I just left the building and did not talk to her the whole time we were at the camp. Like, I think I would handle it better now, but uh, I did not handle it well then. But it's always awkward, right? There's a reason why it's awkward. It's, It's weird because you don't have feelings for that person anymore. Like, you've moved on. You might not even be mad anymore, but still, you see that person, and it triggers a reaction. There's a reason for that. It's because relationships have context. Interactions have context. There are things that have gone on before that shape what we are experiencing in this moment. That's why we have friends and we have work friends. That's why we have some friends that we don't talk about certain things around because relationships have context. Interactions have context. And this interaction between Jesus and Peter has a context. Here's what it is. Jesus' last personal interaction with Peter was Peter declaring his love and his loyalty to Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll die for you. And then it was Jesus gently, lovingly preparing Peter for the reality that he would actually not last through the night, that Peter would deny Jesus. And then just a few hours later, Peter, Jesus gets arrested and Peter, trying to prove his loyalty, trying to do the right thing, pulls out his sword and chops off somebody's ear, which seems like the wrong way to use a sword. I don't use a sword very often, and it sounds like Peter didn't use a sword very often either because the ear is a weird thing to strike. But Peter is trying to prove his loyalty, and Jesus looks at him and says, no, this has to happen. Peter tried to do the right thing again and got it completely wrong. And Jesus healed the man's ear, effectively undoing the right thing Peter thought he was doing. And then while Jesus is being arrested, Peter is doing his best. He's trying to be there. He's trying to be present. But three times, just like Jesus said, three times, someone says, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? You're one of them. Peter said, no, no, you've got me mistaken. And the last time he was so scared and angry that he cursed the person who accused him and ran away. That's the context. That was Jesus' last interaction with Peter. At this point, the story tells us Jesus rose again a week or two ago. And to the best of our knowledge, according to all of the gospel accounts, Peter and Jesus haven't had a one-on-one conversation since then it's not just that i mean peter scholars tell us peter was probably the oldest disciple peter always felt kind of awkward he always felt a little bit out of the loop peter seems to continually be trying to prove things. Jesus treats Peter as a leader, and Peter seems like he has to live up to that expectation. And every time he does, he winds up walking on the water, sinking into the water. He winds up speaking up and saying the wrong thing. Peter has continually tried to prove himself, and now he's tried to prove himself for the last time. Every time he's fallen short. So at this point, Peter and Jesus are probably doing that thing that you do. You remember when your mom used to say, we'll talk about this when we get home? So you did everything in your power to keep us from getting home and talking about it, right? We'll watch your favorite movie. We can listen to your favorite songs. Do you want to go to your favorite restaurant? Because you know the context of the interaction that's about to happen, and you want to avoid it, right? So you don't make eye contact, and you do everything in your power to avoid the conversation. So that's probably what was going on at this meal. Peter, Peter knows what's in Jesus' mind. There's something unspoken between them, and Peter doesn't want it brought up. So Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, it's worth noting here that it sounds a little bit like Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these guys do? But that word these is also translated these matters or these things. They're sitting at a meal of fish right after, G- after Peter left his fishing boat. Right after Peter got out of the boat that he had gone back to, he had gone back to the career that he had left to follow Jesus. Why? Because he had failed Jesus for the last time. And even though Jesus had rose from the dead, he had went back to the life he lived before. So Jesus isn't looking at Peter and comparing him to the other disciples. He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love these things that you're doing? Peter, do you love me more than these? He's looking at the shore, and he's looking at the boats, and he's looking at the fish. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. See, Peter doesn't get it. Because there's context to this conversation. And that context means we can reasonably assume that what's going through Peter's mind is, well, of course I love you. But look what my love got you. It got you denied. I loved you when I stepped off the boat, and I loved you when I sank into the water. It didn't change anything. I loved you when I struck the guy's ear, and I did the total wrong thing. I've loved you the whole time, Jesus, but I've still been the same coward who says the wrong things. I've still never been able to live up to what you expected of me. What's my love got you? It's got you denied. There are two things going on here that we have to understand. Two things that Peter is understanding that we have to understand. The first is this. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. The cross of Jesus means forgiveness, but forgiveness isn't a bargain. The cross of Jesus is forgiveness, but forgiveness isn't a bargain. It's not a bargain for anybody involved. See, Peter was doing what we often do. We often slip into this way of thinking that says, I have to hold up my end of the deal. Of course, Jesus has forgiven me as long as I hold up my end of the deal. Jesus did his part. Jesus died. So if I do my part of the deal, then my forgiveness is secure. But if I can't hold up my part of the bargain, then the deal is nullified. It makes sense that Peter would think like this. It makes sense that we would think like this. Every contract, every interaction that we have, every relationship has these conditions. It doesn't matter if you sign a contract on a house or get married or buy a car or haggle someone down at a flea market. Even if you get a great deal, each party has a part to play. Each party has to hold up their end of the bargain. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, then the deal is nullified. It's everywhere else in the world. That's why forgiveness is such an outlandish idea. We begin to think that even though Jesus accomplished forgiveness, that we have to do something to secure it. And we know ourselves. We know we can't hold up our end of the bargain. So we don't think our love gets us anything. See, that's why we have. The cross is forgiveness, and forgiveness isn't a bargain. It's not a deal. Do you know why? Because your end of the deal is just to believe that it exists and to believe that it's true. It's not an exchange that we make. It is an unconditional offer there's nothing like this in the world you've got to see this Jesus never mentions his expectations of Peter Jesus never once says Peter do you love me okay well since you do let's let me give you a one month trial period to prove your loyalty okay do you love me Peter okay that's great so let's prove that you've changed Peter you can feed my sheep as long as I see the evidence of the transformation in your life this is ridiculous. This is outlandish. This doesn't happen anywhere else. Why? Because the cross is forgiveness, and forgiveness isn't a bargain. Are you willing to accept the fact that Jesus offers you forgiveness even if nothing changes in your life? Did you hear me? Jesus offers you forgiveness unconditionally. That's what the cross means. Forgiveness implies shortcoming. Forgiveness implies failure. Never once does Jesus say, I'll save a space for you as long as you prove you can handle it. No, he says, I handled it for you. Of course, Peter's love couldn't create any change because Jesus' love could. The cross is forgiveness, and forgiveness isn't a bargain. But there are two things that we have to understand here. Because Jesus died, but he didn't only die. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us as Christians, like we get forgiveness, at least in the broad sense. We understand forgiveness, we understand that through the death of Jesus, Our ransom has been paid. The victory has been won. The punishment's been meted out. Our representative has taken our place. We are not under eternal condemnation anymore. When we die, we won't die apart from God. We'll spend eternity with him. We understand that, right? Like Christians love the past we love to have a past if you want to get a bunch of Christians riled up I mean just put somebody up front and have them tell a testimony about how they used to be like a cocaine cocaine dealing war criminal and we love that the more extreme the better we love a good testimony right and we should because that's important because it's forgiveness we love to have a past as long as it's way in the past we love to talk about the sin that's behind us just not the sin that's right behind us. See, that's why Peter got hurt when Jesus asked him a third time. Because Peter just wants it to be in the past, he just wants to move on. He wants to talk about the transformation and the forgiveness and then just go back to the life that he's been living. Because Peter is convinced that he is a coward and that even though he's been forgiven, he's always going to be a coward. Because here's the reality. Here's why Jesus did two things. Being forgiven for who you were doesn't make you not that person anymore. Being forgiven for what you did doesn't mean you won't do it again. Forgiveness does not necessitate change, it just relieves punishment. See, I think there are a lot of us who live everyday lives hoping and praying that our past is just going to stay in the past hoping and praying that no one asks any really deep questions because, sure, we might not be addicted to the thing we used to be. Sure, the big flashy sins might be gone, but we know the bitterness that's still in our heart, and we've done everything in our power to overcome it, and it's still there. Sure, we love Jesus, but we still hate that person. And there's nothing we can do about it. Sure, we love Jesus, but we are still racked with guilt over the lust that we experience every day. I mean, sure, we love Jesus, But we still have such a hard time finding generosity or believing the best in people. We know what our hearts are really like, and we know the things that haven't changed. So we just don't bring it up. Peter, do you love me? It hurt Peter's heart because he didn't want to talk about it anymore. Nothing's going to change. Then Jesus starts talking about Peter's death, which is a weird transition. Here's here's how I've heard this described for a lot of my life. And, and I want to say that this isn't the wrong way to describe it. It's, it's just maybe not the complete way. To describe it. This is what I needed to hear in this moment um, at this time in my life. When I was young, I heard this analogy that, that your life, you're kind of like like a ceramic mug or a plate or something like that. That God created you whole and unblemished. That God wants us whole and unblemished, but but we sin and that breaks things. We sin and that breaks things. Things are broken now. Now you can imagine that if I were to take the time, I could put this back together. I'm not going to do it right now because I didn't bring super glue or anything with me, and that would kind of kill the point that I'm going to make. But we imagine that, that this could be broken, that sin has broken us, but that we're forgiven. And what God wants, none of us are unblemished, so what God wants for us is for us to be whole. And as long as you glue the plate back together, As long as you fit the pieces back, as long as you do that, then this can be whole again. It can be almost like new. It can still hold food. It can still hold coffee. It can do everything it was created to do. You can be made whole. You can be forgiven. I mean, there's still going to be cracks. I mean, you're never going to be able to hide the cracks that are in your life because of sin, though. I mean, it would be ideal if we were unblemished, if we were perfect, but none of us are perfect. So God makes us whole because he wants us whole and we just kind of have to deal with the fact that these scars of sin are going to be in our lives forever that we're always going to have these same scars and brokenness. Sure, we we can be forgiven for it, but that scar, I'm always going to be scarred by lust. I'm always going to be scarred by bankruptcy. I'm always going to be scarred by the crippling debt from the irresponsible decisions I made when I was younger. I'm always going to be scarred by this depression or anxiety or doubt. Sure, I've been put back together, but the scars are just still there, and there's nothing I can do about it. We just live like this. Thank God he made us whole. And now we just had these scars. Jesus starts talking about Peter's death. He says, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. You dressed yourself, but when you're old, someone else is going to dress you. And lead you where you don't want to go. So you remember Peter had been a coward. Peter had been untrustworthy. Peter hadn't been able to live up to the expectations. And he hadn't been able to handle the pressure. So he went back to fishing. Because even though he'd been forgiven the scars of his fear and his doubt. His untrustworthiness was always going to be there. So Jesus starts talking about how Peter's going to die. And John says this is the death by which Peter would glorify God. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified for preaching the gospel. And you gotta, you got to know exactly that Peter knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because he had just been there and ran away scared when they addressed Jesus in something he didn't want to wear and led him somewhere that he didn't want to go. See, what you've got to see is that Jesus is looking into Peter's future and he's calling out transformation. He's saying, Peter, do you see? Peter, do you love me? Do you see the person that you're going to become? Peter, do you see that you've been forgiven? given for the past but that you can also be made new in the resurrection do you see that the scars don't have to rule your life forever do you see Peter that that you failed under the pressure but you are going to stand up to the pressure Jesus was casting a vision of transformation with Peter because the cross means forgiveness and the resurrection means new creation The cross means forgiveness, but the resurrection means made new. The cross means your sins are not held against you anymore. The resurrection means your sins don't control you anymore. The resurrection means that thing that you thought would never change and you would always be stuck in does not have to rule your life because Jesus paid for sin and then he defeated sin. The cross is forgiveness. The resurrection is new creation. The resurrection is. Is new creation. Do you know who the first disciple would be who would stand up to a hostile crowd and preach the gospel? It was the same one who ran away denying he knew Jesus. Do you know who one of the first disciples would be that would go to prison for the gospel? It was the one who was scared of the storm and sank in the water. Why? Because Peter was not who he used to be. The resurrection means transformation. There's a theologian and fine artist. His name is Makoto Fujimura. He wrote a book called Art and Faith. And in this book, he says that the Bible begins with creation and it ends with new creation. He says that the gospel doesn't fix, it makes new. The gospel doesn't repair, it transforms. And then then he tells about this uh, Japanese fine art called kintsuji. Kinsuji is based in the both tea culture and the culture of fine art and craft in Japan. And it's the art by which these these uh, kintsugi masters will take broken pieces of discarded pottery, things that used to be functional but are now trash, and they will repair them. But they won't just stitch them back together. They won't just glue them they repair them with gold there are going to be pictures up here on the screen of what kintsuji looks like the kintsuji masters take what was broken and discarded and then it is the very cracks that broke it is the very places the scars that were evidence of the brokenness that become the open space for the beauty of transformation it is the fact that it was broken that takes something from functional to exquisite this is new creation this is new creation do you see that it was the fact that peter had failed under the pressure that made it so beautiful when he would stand up and preach the gospel do you see that do you see that the cross means forgiveness the resurrection means new creation see it's the fact that you've struggled with that lust your entire life that's going to make the purity you're going to walk into that much more beautiful it is the fact that you've been struggling with that depression in silence It's going to make that is going to be so much more beautiful when you admit it and you go to counseling and you share that burden with other people and you're not doing it alone anymore. Why? Because you don't have to pretend like you're not broken. You don't have to pretend like it's all way in the past because it's the very scars that create space for the transformation. The resurrection means new creation. Jesus isn't just trying to fix you and put things back together and leave you scarred. He's trying to take the scars and prove his glory and his goodness to you and to the world. Not so you can just be a tool for his kingdom, but so you can experience the beautiful goodness of a life in which the artist God has made you new. The resurrection means new creation. You are forgiven unconditionally. That's what the cross means. The cross means nothing can separate you from the love of God. Every sin has been paid for. Jesus loves us unconditionally because conditional love exists in the world everywhere we go, and it never leads to transformation. Unconditional love is the only thing that will open up our hearts to the beauty of Jesus. But he doesn't stop at forgiveness. He doesn't stop at repair. He brings new creation creation. I believe I'm just playing the odds here. There are people in this room that have been struggling under a burden of something that you don't want to admit, that you don't want to talk about something that you've convinced yourself is never going to change and you're just going to have to live with until you die. This is just going to be part of life now. Jesus is inviting you into new creation. Hear me, I'm not saying perfection. We find out a little later in the story that Peter's like a little bit racist and he's got to work through that and he makes a bunch of other mistakes. Peter's not perfect. No, but he's transformed, and he's transforming. Why? Because our perspective when we are made new is not, I can't break it again. Our perspective when we're made new is, I certainly don't want to mess up the beautiful art that God's creating in me, but if I stumble again, it just creates space for new transformation. It just creates another crack that can be filled with God's glory. Do you see how our perspective shifts? that our mistakes become opportunities for transformation and healing for new creation to be formed instead of defining characteristics that we can never overcome? Why? Because you are not who you used to be. It's not just forgiven. It's who you used to be. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that any person in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You're not just a forgiven version of who you used to be. The new has come. Resurrection means new creation. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why, we, that's why this is good news. That's why this is good news. You know, for uh, so much of my life, I thought the cross was the good news and the resurrection was just icing until I realize the resurrection means I'm not just forgiven, it means Christ has defeated sin and death and inviting me into a new way of living so that the marks of death caused by sin in my life do not hold sway over me anymore, but I can move in growth, not pursuing perfection, but move in growth towards the beauty of Jesus. That's why we celebrate. This morning we're going to spend time in worship, as we always do, because this is a Sunday morning and we gather, we hear the word and we worship together. But I want to do something that we almost never do, and that's give a a response. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I ask you to close your eyes with me. We rarely do this at the fold, but if there's a good time to do it, it's Easter. There are going to be some of us here today. You might be here today and and the thing that you walked in here with, the struggle that you carried in in here is just the fact that you have felt like you can't trust the forgiveness of Jesus. You have felt like you have gone too far. You can't hold up your end of the bargain. You've failed and you've fallen short, and forgiveness just doesn't count for you. And today, you need to decide, you need to believe that the cross means unconditional. The cross means you are forgiven no matter what. Jesus is not saying prove your loyalty, prove your love, prove that you can change. Jesus is just saying, I forgive you because I love you. That's the deal. And you need to accept the forgiveness of Jesus. If you are here today, maybe you didn't believe in Jesus when you walked in here. Maybe you're still not sure. Maybe right now you're just ready to finally try it out, to finally say, you know what? I actually trust that I've been forgiven. I'm tired of living in shame and guilt. I'm, I trust that I am forgiven. And you're going to decide today that you believe in Jesus and you trust his forgiveness. That's all it takes. If that's you today, then you can just tell that to Jesus. There's no magic words. You don't need someone to lead you through a prayer. If you would like help, you could just say something like, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again to take away my sins, and I trust that that counts for me too. It's not a bargain. It's not a contract. Your only part is that you believe that it's true and believe it counts for you. That's forgiveness. You can make that decision right now. If you're here today and you just decided for the first time to trust the forgiveness of Jesus, would you raise your hand so we can celebrate with you? If there's not anybody, that's totally fine, but we never want to miss space to create that opportunity. Knowing the people in this room, here's what I think is probably more accurate. There are some of us here who have just come to believe that 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 sin, that guilt, that shame is just going to mark us forever. It's just who we are now. There's nothing we can do about it. We are stuck being this way. And we've quit talking about it. We've quit bringing it up. We want to keep it in the past. We don't want to acknowledge it. But today, if you are ready to believe That the resurrection means new creation. That you don't actually have to live forever under the slavery of sin. That you can be forgiven and transformed. Not that you're going to be perfect. Not that you're never going to make a mistake. But that your life will not be marked by enslavement to sin. Enslavement to lust. Enslavement to materialism. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Whatever it is. If you're ready today To say, Jesus, I trust you for transformation. I do not want to live enslaved to fear. I know I'm forgiven, but I want to be transformed. Everyone's eyes are closed. Your eyes being closed is not magic. It's just about the person next to you being able to have a conversation with God without us interrupting. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You just say, I thought it wasn't going to change, but I'm ready. I'm ready for it to change. I'm going to ask you to do you can put your hands down for just a second if that's you you don't have to do this you definitely don't have to do this there's no pressure if no hands go back up that's fine but the first step to experiencing transformation is not hiding it anymore is not pretending like it's not part of your life anymore the first step is to be honest with ourselves about where we're at so that Jesus can begin the work of transformation in so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you just raised your hands, I'm gonna count to three and everyone's gonna open their eyes. And I'm just gonna ask that you would raise your hand again so that we can all as a community trust God together for your transformation so that you don't have to bear it as a secret burden anymore. I'm gonna raise my hand too because I'm trusting Jesus for transformation. I know it's weird, I know it's uncomfortable, I know it's hard, but if you're ready to admit it publicly, To say it's not a secret, and I'm not ashamed of it, because these scars are about to become the artwork of new creation. Then on the count of three, raise your hands. One, two, three. Everyone open their eyes. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. Jesus, you are so beautiful. Jesus, you are so kind. You've forgiven us for every mistake, and you are inviting us into a life of transformation. You are inviting us into a life that is not enslaved by the things that we have been enslaved to. You are inviting us into a life that is not trapped by the things we thought would never change. You are whispering to our hearts, even now, there is more, there is new, there is better. The life is not easy, the life is not simple, but the life is beautiful. Good artwork, beautiful artwork is difficult, it takes an expert craftsman over time, but the process is worth it, Jesus start the process in us, and we will praise you, because that's why we're celebrating the resurrection. We're celebrating your resurrection, because we are not just forgiven and left to ourselves, we are forgiven and made new Jesus. We are forgiven and transformed, Jesus, and you are making all things new. Today we remember you are alive again, and you are coming again, and everything will change in your presence, Jesus. We love you. Let's stand and worship together.